Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 31st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folsner, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. We have several new appellate cases this week, so let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal reversed a decision of the WCAB for ignoring the mandates of a California Supreme Court COLA case. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of the Town of Los Gatos versus the WCAB. Charles Hart worked for the Town of Los Gatos as an engineering inspector. While inspecting a construction site back in 2003, Hart slipped and fell onto a pile of rebar, injuring his lower back. The city accepted the claim and Hart was off work for eight days and then returned to full duty. Hart was off again for 30 days in 2004 and returned to work again on full duty until he retired in 2009 at age 68, claiming he would not have retired had he not continued to suffer from the injury. His case went to trial in 2017. Since Hart's date of injury was before 2005, the WorkComp judge held that Hart's permanent disability was to be rated under the 1997 Permanent Disability Rating Schedule, which is not based on the AMA guides. Hart's vocational rehabilitation expert said that Hart was unable to engage in gainful employment and was not amenable to vocational rehabilitation services. For that reason, the WorkComp judge found the injury caused 100% total disability and awarded payments of $602 a week for life. And Hart was entitled to an annual COLA on his total PD benefits starting one year after he was permanent and stationary in 2011. His first COLA was therefore due on January 1st, 2012, and every January 1 after that. The WorkComp judge cited the 2009 Duncan versus WCAB case in support of his starting the date of injury or the date of COLA award back then. The problem with this award of a COLA was that the Duncan case was overruled by the California Supreme Court in 2011 in its Baker versus WCAB case, which was eight years before the work comp judge made his award here. So the town petitioned for a reconsideration and argued that the correct start date for the COLA was January 1, 2017, the January 1st after Hart's TD benefits ended and he became entitled to receive total PD benefits. Reconsideration of this issue was denied with the WCAB failing to discuss the effect of Baker overruling the Duncan decision. Therefore, the Court of Appeal reversed in the unpublished case of the Town of Los Gatos versus the WCAB concluding that the WCAB's decision regarding the start date for the COLA was clearly erroneous. The court added that even after that error was briefed by the town of Los Gatos in its petition for reconsideration, the WCAB continued to ignore the Supreme Court Baker decision. 
Many California agricultural workers have been exposed to a pesticide known as Roundup, and some of them may develop cancers. These cancer cases can then become continuous trauma claims under current California workers' compensation law. Thousands of Roundup tort cases are pending in civil courts in several states, and favorable outcomes will likely support subrogation in the decades ahead for these claims. Monsanto Company manufactures the pesticide Roundup, and Bayer AG acquired the agrochemical company in a multi-billion dollar merger in 2018 and is now liable for the outcome of this litigation. Bayer to date has lost several U.S. jury trials in the Roundup litigation, with juries in California awarding multi-million dollar awards. For example, in a recent California case, the jury returned a verdict in favor of plaintiff Edwin Hardiman, awarding him over $5 million in compensatory damages and $75 million in punitives. The district court reduced the jury's punitive award in that case to $20 million, and this month the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the district court result in the published case. These bellwether cases led up to a $2 billion settlement offer in Northern California multi-district federal litigation by Monsanto. Attorneys representing cancer victims objected to the proposed settlement earlier this month, and ultimately federal judge Vincent Chabria agreed with them. In his newly issued opinion, Judge Chabria said Bayer's proposed settlement was clearly unreasonable with glaring flaws. Judge Chabria added that this is not a situation where the defendant is at risk of going bankrupt, such that only the first set of plaintiffs will be able to recover. He added that Bayer is a massive, wealthy company and it continues to make money specifically from Roundup shares. He then said there is no indication that the company will cease its efforts to settle cases, since the alternative to settling, in his words, was continuing to lose trials left and right. A homeless person came inside the lobby of a Greyhound bus station in 2017, where Abraham Alex was employed as a security guard by All Nation Security Services Incorporated. The homeless person was dancing and speaking badly in the lobby. An employee asked Mr. Alex to escort the homeless person outside. Mr. Alex asked whether the homeless person had a ticket and then asked him to leave. The homeless person did not leave and cursed at Mr. Alex and hit him in the left temple. And Mr. Alex fell outside the lobby and the homeless person then just ran away. Alex suffered a traumatic brain injury with evidence of intracranial hemorrhage for which he underwent surgery. He filed a workers' compensation claim for his injuries. But company rules state <clears throat> that the security officer is expected to manage aggressive behavior or disturbed persons, but refrain from chasing, restraining, and subduing those individuals. The employer denied the injury, claiming it was outside the scope of his employment to do what he did. 
However, the work comp judge concluded that the applicant was performing his job as a security guard in furtherance of the Greyhound business when he was injured. And the judge added that this is true even if the injury was caused by an impact with the ground outside the station or if applicant violated a policy in the process. Applicant is nonetheless entitled to workers' comp benefits. Reconsideration was denied in the panel decision of Abraham Alex versus All Nation Security Services, Incorporated. The panel stated a distinction must be made between an unauthorized departure from the course of employment and the performance of a duty in an unauthorized manner. Performance of a duty in an unauthorized manner may constitute serious and willful misconduct by the employee, but does not take the employee outside the course of his employment. If the employment places an applicant in a location and he or she was doing an activity reasonably attributable to the employment, he is covered. In another panel decision, the WCAB declined to exercise jurisdiction over a UR-IMR dispute. In this case, Shauna von Brunt sustained an admitted injury to the lumbar spine and left lower leg while working for VCA Antec Incorporated, which is a large network of veterinary hospitals and clinical laboratories. Her PTP submitted multiple requests for authorization each for a quantity of 450 bruprenorphine pills. The requests were submitted for utilization review, which certified progressively reduced quantities of the bruprenorphine, eventually denying certification of any bruprenorphine at all. Independent Medical Review upheld two of the UR determinations dated November 16, 2020 and thereafter, and there was no appeal of the IMR determinations. At an expedited hearing, the issues were whether it was appropriate for the defendant through UR to wean the applicant off of a medication on which she is dependent and whether there was jurisdiction for the appeals board to address this dispute. The work comp judge found that the appeals board lacks jurisdiction to review the UR decisions and the IMR decisions. Applicant sought reconsideration or in the alternative removal of the findings of fact. The WCAB denied both in the panel decision of Shauna Von Brunt versus VCA Antec Incorporated. It concluded that where a UR decision is timely, <clears throat> IMR is the sole vehicle for reviewing the UR physician's expert opinion regarding the medical necessity of a proposed treatment. With respect to applicant's contention that she had been taking bruprenorphine for years and there was no change in circumstances when additional requests for these medications were made, the appeals board has previously found that recurring prescriptions are not the sort of ongoing care that cannot be unilaterally terminated. Authorization of one prescription does not automatically mean that recurring prescriptions of that medication must be authorized indefinitely. The treating physician has an obligation to document the need for each recurring prescription, 
especially when their prescriptions are for heavily regulated opioid medications. The Fisher-Phillips COVID-19 Employment Litigation Tracker depicts a continued string of COVID-related litigation being filed nationwide. And California leads the nation in these cases. The firm reports 2,408 California uh, 2,408 cases filed nationwide. California has 548 of them, with New Jersey having 311, Florida 176, Ohio 165, and New York 158 in the list of the top five states by case count. Two new cases were filed in California in just the last seven days. 185 of the 548 California cases are for employment discrimination. 153 for retaliation or whistleblower issues. 121 for remote work leave conflicts. 53 for wage hour problems. 37 for unsafe workplace. And 12 for wrongful discharge. By industry, in California, 19.7% of the cases are in healthcare, 11% in retail, 9.2% in hospitality, 7% in manufacturing, and in fifth place, 6.7% in professional and technical services. The analysis by the firm's claims uh, participants said that many employers across the country find themselves swimming in costly and prolonged litigation fallout arising from legal claims alleging they failed to accommodate workers impacted by the virus. The healthcare industry is distinctive as a target for such claims given the unique nature the work environment presents to employees. This trend presents a somber reminder for healthcare employers. Even when inundated in a global state of emergency, there remains the duty to dedicate time and prudent consideration to the interactive process when initiated by an employee with a medical disability. From the Golden State to the coastal city of New Haven, Connecticut, healthcare facilities are fighting disability discrimination claims for the alleged failure to accommodate employees with respiratory conditions, including asthma and cancer, which increase susceptibility to calamitous complications from COVID-19 transmission. And now our crime report. A Southern California orthopedic surgeon was sentenced to 15 months in federal prison for accepting nearly $623,000 in bribes and kickbacks in exchange for referring his patients to receive spinal surgeries at a corrupt Long Beach hospital. 55-year-old Dr. Jeffrey David Gross, who resides in Dana Point and Las Vegas, was also ordered to forfeit $623,000. Gross pleaded guilty to one felony count of conspiracy to commit honest services mail and wire fraud. The kickback scheme centered on the Pacific Hospital in Long Beach, which specialized in surgeries, especially spinal and orthopedic procedures. 
The owner of the Pacific Hospital, Michael D. Drobot, conspired with doctors, chiropractors, and marketers to pay kickbacks in return for the referral of thousands of patients to Pacific Hospital for spinal surgeries and other medical services, primarily paid for through the California Workers' Compensation System. During its final five years, the scheme resulted in the submission of more than $500 million in fraudulent medical bills. To date, 15 defendants have been convicted for participating in the kickback scheme. Dr. Gross operated Oasis Medical Providers Incorporated in Laguna Niguel when he agreed with Drobot to participate in a scheme to defraud patients of their right to honest services by accepting bribes and kickbacks that were paid to induce Dr. Gross to refer patients to the hospital for spinal surgeries and other medical services. During these surgeries, if Dr. Gross used hardware from International Implants, a Drobot-formed hardware distribution company, he was advanced $5,000 regardless of subsequent collections. Dr. Gross did not disclose this information to his patients that Pacific Hospital paid Oasis $372,000 under this agreement. In total, between 2008 and 2013, Drobot paid Dr. Gross $622,936 pursuant to this and other agreements. During the same period, Dr. Gross referred dozens of patients to the Pacific Hospital for spinal surgeries based in part on payments made to him under those agreements. The Department of Justice announced criminal charges against 14 defendants in seven federal districts across the United States for their alleged participation in various healthcare fraud schemes that exploited the COVID-19 pandemic and resulted in over $143 million in false billings. The proceeds of the fraudulent scams were allegedly laundered through shell corporations and used to purchase exotic automobiles and luxury real estate. In the Northern District of California, 58-year-old Mark Sheena, who lives in Los Altos, California, and who is the president of a riot corporation, is charged along with two others in connection with the submission of over $70 million in false and fraudulent claims for allegedly COVID-19 testing. The superseding indictment includes new counts of healthcare fraud, a conspiracy to pay kickbacks, and payments of kickbacks in connection with false and fraudulent statements about the existence, regulatory status, and accuracy of the Ariat COVID-19 test. The conspiracy allegedly sought to induce the ordering of Ariat COVID-19 test and to bundle the COVID-19 test and Ariat's medically unnecessary allergy test. The COVID-19 test results were not provided in a timely fashion and were not reliable in detecting COVID-19. In another case, filed in the Central District of California, that's the Los Angeles area, 36-year-old Petros Hanayesian, who lives in Burbank, 
was charged with the theft of government property and wire fraud in connection with about a quarter million dollars that he obtained from COVID-19 relief programs. Hanesian was the owner of Hollywood Home Health Services Incorporated, a home health agency located in L.A. He allegedly misappropriated funds from the CARES Act, Provider Relief Fund, and submitted false loan applications and a false loan agreement to the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. And in regulatory news, on May 19, 2021, the eve of a vote by the Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board to adopt proposed substantial changes to the existing Cal-OSHA COVID-19 Emergency Temporary Standards, Eric Berg, the Deputy Chief of Cal-OSHA, asked that the Standards Board not vote the next day, on May 20th, to adopt Cal-OSHA's proposed ETS revisions. Mr. Berg asked that the Standards Board allow Cal-OSHA to present a new proposal at a future meeting with a targeted effective date of June 15, 2021. A few days before that, the CDC updated its guidance to allow fully vaccinated individuals to forego masks in some situations. Four days after the CDC's announcement, the California Health and Human Services Agency Secretary had expressed that California intended to implement the CDC's masking guidance on June 15, 2021. This is the same day that Governor Newsom announced as the state's goal for reopening California's economy. However, labor officials and worker advocates are pushing back against adoption of the loosened masking standards for fully vaccinated individuals. Labor law lawyers say that these new developments appear to be the reason that Kalosha asked that the Standards Board not adapt the draft proposal on May 20. Given the recent CDC guidance and California's impending reopening, Cal-OSHA appears to be reconsidering the proposal it wishes to make to the Standards Board. For now, the Society for Human Resources Management recommends that, while we wait for this new proposal revisions to Cal-OSHA's new standard, it is important to remember that California employers are still under the current safety standard, which makes no accommodation for fully vaccinated employees when it comes to masking. The only loosened restriction that California employers may currently follow is the updated guidance easing quarantine restrictions for fully vaccinated and asymptomatic employees in non-healthcare workplaces. Cal-OSHA has cited Foster Poultry Farms Incorporated in Livingston and four of its staffing agencies for not protecting its workers from COVID-19. Cal-OSHA opened its inspection after receiving notification that an employee had died from COVID-19 complications. And they subsequently determined that Foster Farms and one of its staffing agencies did not timely report the COVID-19 fatality as required. Kalosha also opened a separate inspection of the facility's distribution center. The citations were issued to Foster Poultry Farms Incorporated, the poultry plant, 
$103,100, and to Foster Poultry Farms Distribution Center, $78,000, and its staffing company, Human Bees Incorporated, $41,000, another staffing company, Marcos Renteria AG Services, another staffing company, Intermountain Employment Services, DBA Ascend, for $18,000, and Staffing Solutions, DBA Balance Staffing, $16,200. A full list of these and other employers cited for COVID-19 violations is posted on Cal OSHA's website. And in medical news, a new flash report from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute finds that in most states, dermatological agents and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs have become more important than other drug groups as a share of total prescription payments. The 28 states in the study include California. Prescription payments are decreasing in a majority of state workers' compensation systems, but prescription payments continue to vary widely across states. Physician dispensing accounted for the majority of payments for the dermatological agents drug group in 12 of the 28 study states. A cost driver in dermatological is private label topicals, which are independently manufactured and not recommended by evidence-based guidelines, and also have a much higher price tag compared to comparable products. Payment shares for the NSAIDs drug group changed little in many states, but per-claim payments varied widely. Both payment share and per-claim payment for the anticonvulsants group decreased in many states over the study period. The decrease happened mostly mostly between the time when generic formulations of Lyrica became available. The substantial decline for opioids during the study period continues the decline seen in prior periods. The per-claim payments for opioids decreased by 56% in the typical state, and the rate of reduction ranged from 40% in Louisiana to 81% here in California. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and our other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.